Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and I'm really excited today to have a good friend, an old colleague, I guess. It's been uh, much longer than we had thought <laughs> that I've known each other. I've got Troy Moon here from the city of Portland, Maine. He's the sustainability director there. Troy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kim. Nice to talk to you again. I know, I know. We were talking earlier offline that uh, we must have met like 12 years ago when I started at Ickley. And uh, of course, you were still at the city, but you were uh, in solid waste back then, right, under Public Works? Yes, I was. And now you're in the the big seat. (laughs) Yep, so yeah, now I've recently made a transition up to uh, City Hall, you know, work in the city manager's office. Fantastic. So today we are talking about neighborhood resiliency planning, and you guys have a really cool project that you're working on up in Portland um, that I know uh, the audience is really going to be interested in hearing about today. Um, So, you know, we've got a lot to cover, so why don't we just dive right in. Um, I think it would be important to start with just kind of that bigger picture for folks, Um, for anyone who, who might not know you know, Portland has been engaged with climate change mitigation and adaptation work for over a decade at this point. Um, oh, well, you're probably almost pushing into two decades, right? So give us a little background on kind of um, Portland's uh, leadership in this area and kind of what's been driving the interest um, for the city to keep moving forward. Um, sure. Um, we actually did our first greenhouse gas inventory back in 2001. <clears throat> Something you know, that our council at the time was becoming aware of um, climate change is really first starting to get on um, you know, the radar for municipalities. So we were kind of in on it early, and we were back back then, and everyone was just really trying to figure out even how to do that. Yeah, um, that's for sure. <laughs> but, yeah. but. Um, it was, you know, it was great that the, uh, you know, the, our, our city leadership um, was interested at the time. Um, they continued to be interest, we, interested. We updated our greenhouse gas inventory in 2005. And so I think that's when I met you. Yeah. We started with Ickley because we had some support from Ickley and another local, uh, more local group for some funding for an intern to help us update the greenhouse gas inventory. And about that time, also, the council was even more interested in um, thinking about climate change. It was a bigger, you know, becoming, you know, more important and more well-known what the impacts are going to be. So um, we developed our first um, climate action plan at that time. Um, the council um, impaneled a, you know, a green ribbon type commission to uh, draft um, the Sustainable Portland Report, um, which identified climate change as the biggest threat to the city since the Great Fire of 1866. So when you play the Great Fire, when you play the Great Fire card in Portland, you know you're serious. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So, um, so again, you know, definitely a lot of interest um, at the count, at the city council level. Um, and so 
you know, we've, we started doing a lot of mit- more mitigation efforts um, than adaptation. And certainly at that point, we uh, did a pretty big project for um, you know, energy efficiency in our buildings that was completed about five years ago. It's, you know, pretty much all, we have a little over 50 buildings in the city and they all, um, you know, weatherized and, uh, and all the lights were upgraded to, uh, at the time, T8 light fixtures were the thing we wanted to go to and switched everything from uh, oil to natural gas. Um, so that was a big project. Um, well, so we're still continuing to do a lot of that sort of work. Uh, we looked at, I mean, we have one CNG vehicle now that we're trying to experiment with. Uh, purchased a number of electric vehicles and we're really trying to transition the the non-heavy equipment fleet towards EV. Um, we have, uh, we're in the process right now of up, upgrading a lot, all of our LED, all of our street lights to LED. Um, it's going to be a big project, about 6,800 lights uh, moving over to LED, which will be a wow. great energy saving. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we're looking at renewable energy. It's something our council is extremely interested in right now is renewable energy. So we're looking at building um, a 660-kilowatt solar array on our closed landfill. Still working through the details on that. We have uh, authorization from the council to go ahead and do it. So trying to figure out all the mechanisms to make that happen. We're working with a local um, local contractor who does... Um, solar energy around New England. And really exciting, um, last week the City Council endorsed um, a goal of having the city use 100% clean energy by 2040. So, so that'd be a, That's a, a strong goal and it's gonna, you know, we'll have to do a lot of work to get there. But So mitigation's definitely been something the city's been thinking about for a long time. But adaptation, um, we haven't done as much in that area. Um, we've certainly studied, um, you know, what the impacts of particularly sea level rise might be. We've participated with, um, you know, some other groups who have done some work. The Urban Land Institute did a project here. Um, our local uh, Portland Society for Architecture um, has, have been real leaders um, in this area uh, in Portland. They've posted some, you know, some sessions about, um, you know, impacts of sea level rise on the commercial street waterfront, which is, you know, about Casco Bay. They've also done a little bit of work on the uh, Bayside neighborhood as well, just thinking about, you know, what, you know, what the, how much sea level rise might we expect and which buildings and which parts of the neighborhood are, are the most vulnerable. So um, we're really just getting into the adaptation game uh, with you know using investing our own resources and leading the effort, um, our Bayside Adapts effort now is actually the first time the city's invested its own money into uh, adaptation planning. That's great, and I definitely want to talk obviously about the Bayside project, Bayside Adapts project. But before we dive into that, I think you bring up a really great point that this is the first time where the city's kind of committing its own resources. You know, prior to that, you had uh, grants or um, in-kind support, probably from community partners and things like that. Is that mm-hmm. so? What? How much? Yeah, how yep. much is the city kind of investing at this point? So, at this point, on this project, at this phase, it's we're looking at phase one, basically, of our Bayside Adapts project. And we're looking at about a hundred thousand um, dollars. It's you know largely at this point. Um, um, public engagement exercise, as well as um, an engineering study, um, what we're calling a data gap analysis. Um, we don't really understand all of the infrastructure in Bayside. It's an older neighborhood. It's transitioning from um, 
a brownfield, you know, industrial brownfield type of area. And we're seeing a lot more um, business activity. It's really the last part of the, you know, the Portland Peninsula, which is the downtown area. It's the last area really to be developed as this transition transitions away from being a brownfield. Um, so there's pressure for, we're seeing more um, business development. We're seeing more housing going up. Um, so we really need to start understanding how that's all going to play together. And, and because it's, you know, it was built, started being built in the in the mid 1860s. Um, there's a lot of old infrastructure. Um, pipes go some places, and maybe we don't know where all those are. Um, we you know truly really understand the soils. It's mostly fill. Uh, so what's that look like? Um, so we have a an engine. One of our um, engineering partners is going through all of our records and all of the data um, that exists about the infrastructure. So they're going to be piecemealing, you know, finding all of the really cool components of looking at, you know, project development plans and things that were submitted for as people wanted to do projects. So there's lots and lots of data, but it's scattered. And so they're, they're going to put it together in one piece and we'll see what's missing after that. Cause that's going to be really important if we want to implement phase two, which might, you know, might at some point involve actually constructing um, new infrastructure or adding to it. Okay, so the Bayside Adapts program, now this is, Phil, you had mentioned earlier, sea level rise is an issue, uh, flooding from mm-hmm. extreme events, presumably. Yep. Um, so is that's pretty much the focus of the, the studies that you're doing, the vulnerability assessment? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Bayside um, is the lowest neighborhood in the city. It's the lowest part of the city. Um, it's actually lower than the, uh, water, you know, the part of the city that's right on the on the on Casco Bay on the waterfront. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it was built up, you know, as fill after the great fire I mentioned before, um, after the, the people had to, re, you know, remove the debris. And so they basically pushed it down the hill um, into what was basically wetlands um, and started filling it up. And then as soon as it started filling up, people started, you know, building on it. Um, and so it's not, you know, if they, maybe they should have put another four or five feet of fill in um, but, um, you know, they didn't, obviously. So um, so water comes in, um, you know, so it's vulnerable to sea level rise because, it's, if, you know, certainly if the ocean gets more, there's going to be more water coming up. But we're also, it's really vulnerable to stormwater issues. Mm-hmm. And they're really, they kind of, a synergistic problem in a sense um, because, uh, you know, any of the, you know, the storm drains or, you know, they still have some combined sewer working on that issue as well. Um but if you know we have a heavy rain that happens to coincide with a high tide, um, all the water is coming up from you know the back cove. You know, with, with, you know it's ocean water basically. It's coming up you know, up the pipes and not onto the streets. And if we're having a heavy rain, um, water you know, because it's kind of a bowl. It's at the bottom of the hill. Uh, all the water runs down um, from the higher parts of the city into Bayside, and it finds the uh, drains to be full. And the water has nowhere to go, so it just tends to accumulate in the street. So we're seeing that to be a bigger and bigger problem. So we really have to look at it from those both perspectives. We have to address the rising, you know, the rising seas, but also the, um, you know, the significant stormwater issues. Interesting. And so that's kind of what you're covering in in phase one. Phase two is, as you were saying, is is possibly the uh, implementation of different projects, but also part of phase one is 
this engagement with the community. And, you know, I think I saw on one of your um, website pages about, you know, how you're trying to connect with the neighborhood. Um, there was something came out of a community meeting, I think around adaptation needs to be connected to a vision for Bayside. And I just really love that thinking. You know, we always think about visioning and planning at the, the community level, like the whole city. Um, but the fact that we're now shifting to neighborhood planning and this engagement piece, could you just talk a little bit about kind of that shift in Portland and, and how you're seeing that it's it's bringing value or not, like contrast it maybe to citywide efforts? Um, sure. Uh, actually, I think the neighborhood scale engagement is um, really vital, I think especially for a neighborhood like Bayside that really is in transition. Um, it's in some ways, you know, it's, it's got a lot of potential and it's starting to be, you know, a lot of this potential is starting to be implemented, but no one, you know, we're not quite sure where it's going to go. And we're at a point where it's, you know, we're going to have to start making some decisions about what the future might hold. And so the people who need to be part of that conversation are the people who, who own businesses in the neighborhood or work in the neighborhood and you know, increasingly people who live in the neighborhood. What, you know, what would they like to see um, in the future as the, as time goes on as you know sea level rise increases and we have greater storms but we also want to maintain um, vitality in the neighborhood it's, you know, it's really important part of the city um, it's really really well served by you know we've got great connectivity um, to the rest of the city um, easy easily you know bike and walkable it's you know the it's you know i-295 goes right you know right along the edge of it um, so it's got a lot of advantages um, but it does have the big disadvantage of being kind of vulnerable to sea level rise. So we really want to engage the stakeholders, you know, particularly the people who are really invested in the neighborhood, to you know get their input. We don't, you know, we haven't established um, any guidelines for you know developers need to think about X number of feet of sea level rise. You know, that's something the city hasn't hasn't done yet. Um, so we really don't know, you know. We don't have a policy yet, and we need input from the public about what what the policy might be. Mm-hmm. And so diving in, you mentioned that um, for stakeholder outreach, you really are reaching out with the businesses, engaging those folks. Talk a little bit about, mm-hmm. you know, some of what you've done on that, on the outreach side. Sure. Um, so we've created a working group. Um, so we're calling it the Bayside Adapts Working Group. Um, and it's comprised of, uh, you know, people who are, you know, Stakeholders, stakeholders who are particularly interested in it, and it does include, as I mentioned, you know, business owners and residents. The neighborhood, there's two neighborhood associations um, in in Bayside, so both of them are participants. Um, a variety of you know different types of businesses are involved. We have you know people who are developing real estate and people who own you know stores and retail. Um, they're all involved, um, as well as neighborhood, you know, if some community. Um, Services groups are involved. Um, Portland Housing, um, which is um, represents you know, low-income housing groups. Um, Portland Trails, which is a recreational trail group that promotes, um, you know, accessibility for walking and biking. Um, so we're trying. It's a pretty diverse group of people involved with it um, because you know it is kind of a crossroads neighborhood. Uh, so we want to get input from you know all of the different people who have some stake in the neighborhood. Um, it's led by um, a gentleman from the EPA Region uh, Region One Environmental Science Center, who's got a lot of experience with um, 
with the, you know emergency preparedness basically. Uh, but so he's been doing a great job of leading leading the group and and you know they've had a number of meetings. Um, but the you know the Bayside Adapts Design Challenge, which I'm, I'm not sure if we've mentioned that yet, but that's going to be really key for uh, providing context for this diverse group of stakeholders to kind of understand what the possibilities might be in the neighborhood. Yeah, and I definitely want to get to the design competition, but just quickly before we do that, um, you had mentioned um, something earlier about having developed kind of common vocabulary for folks. Could you explain a little bit more about what you mean there, like when you've brought your stakeholders together and trying to, I'm assuming, like trying to educate them on, hey, what are we even talking about here with resilience and climate change? These aren't always easy topics to just bring out to the community, right? Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a really great point because you know if you're you know someone who owns a business or you know or just someone who lives in the neighborhood may not have a lot of um, context for discussing what re- resilient design looks like. You don't know, you know someone's talking about armoring or retreat or what or bioswales. That's not something maybe you have a lot of experience with. Um, and so we need to kind of set the set the table, so to speak, so people can interact with. Um, talking about resiliency um, from a common place. Um, so the way we approached that was to um, invite um, members of the design community to present uh, you know, a vision of what they imagine the Bayside might look like in, you know, in a you know, certain period of time. We actually didn't define um, what the time frame was. We let, that, we let the people who wanted to submit a design kind of imagine their own time horizon and mm-hmm. and sea level rise scenario um, but in order to uh, we need you know we need to provide something um, that people could put in context of, the, of their own neighborhood um, to react to um, but, you know this seemed like it would be a great way to start the conversation so everyone could have a starting point for for discussions about you know what types of elements might they like to see and you know, do you want to build, you know, armor up the armor up the shore? Do you want to have some sort of um, retreat from water, or uh, at, you know, adapting to basically, you know, create infrastructure that um, is successful when it gets wet on a regular basis? Um, so we wanted people to draw, use their imagination, and come up with, you know, some drawings of of the of the baseline neighborhood with with a number of different approaches, basically. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that you really brought folks together and first kind of, as you said, brought them to the table, excuse me, and created this, you know, shared language, if you will, where they could understand what you're talking about. I think that's, you know, in this day and age where we're just constantly looking at expectations around transparency and, you know, accountability, engagement, all of these things that are so important and I think proper and you know exciting goals for local governments to have we don't always deliver them very well you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes like you know and you know we've got some great open data platforms which i think serve a great purpose but the general public they're not going to be inspired by data right that's not going to help them have more information to help make decisions right and we've got you know more communities heading towards participatory budgeting which i love as well but when we're not educating them first i think it's really hard for them to be engaged so i love that you guys kind of took the time explained things to folks got that shared language and common vocabulary so that they could actually participate everybody could right and not just your 
you know, you're already educated members of the community. That's really cool. Yeah, no, yeah, no I think that's really important because, you know, obviously when you're talking about um, strategies for adaptation, you know, your people in the design community are, are going to be very engaged in it. It's something that's of strong interest to them. But um, how do we take the, you know, the concepts that, that you know, professional designers um, are comfortable with and, and translate that into, uh, into lay vocabulary? Um, and in a lot of ways, I think images are a good way to do it. And you can show pictures of, you know, in other cities, you know, people have built this type of infrastructure and have approached it this way. But it, it's really hard to, you have, you have to, like, stretch your imagination, I think, to, like, I want to take this building or this swale and it's in another city and kind of imagine it in my neighborhood. So yeah. I think there's a lot of value. <laughs> a lot of value in having, you know, someone from the design community kind of take, you know, Recreate it, you know, put that thing in, in, in the context of the place where people are living. Awesome. So I know you, we've already been touching on the design competition, um, and I know mm. you announced your winner yesterday, which is very you cool. Did. Do you want Do you want to just give just a little bit more kind of like what the design competition was focused on? And then are you, I'm, it's public now, right? You can share the winner with us? Yeah, sure can. So, <laughs> um and so we, you know, so we invited, we publicized um, the design challenge first. We had a, a community forum back in December um, to begin, you know, kick off the uh, Bayside Adapts project. Um, we had a guest, yeah, a couple guest speakers, you know, talking more generally about sea level rise and ideas about adaptation, and we kind of sprung the, the notion of the design challenge on people just to get them thinking about it and. Uh, was it six weeks or so ago, we formally announced the design challenge and sent out invitations um, to all the, you know, everyone in the design community in the greater Portland area. Actually, it was open to anybody. Anyone could have participated. But as it turned out, we had five firms um, from Portland who uh, submitted. Nice. Um, they took, well, you know, pretty, you know, fairly, there were some, there were some commonalities between their, their designs, but they took some, you know, pretty different approaches um, too, but it's pretty open-ended. Uh, we, you know, as I mentioned, the city doesn't have a particular policy uh, that we're asking people to plan towards. You know, X number of seal, feet of sea level rise. So we left that open. We asked people to uh, benchmark sea level rise, you know, pick pick their own number basically, and to pick their own time horizon for for that. Most people kind of looked at a 2100 time frame, and people picked anywhere between three and ten feet for sea level rise in that time period. Um, so, which, yeah, but they, again, that kind of reflects the, the thinking. No one's quite sure where it's going to be. So I think that was valuable in itself, too, to, to see we have a number of different scenarios that people are thinking about, so that was useful. Um, but, yeah, we had five, um, five submissions. Um, we had one of our, well, our firm's um, Aceto Landscape Architects was the winner which we were excited about. Um, but all of the designs that people submitted, that the firm submitted, were, were excellent. And all of them are going to be valuable. And I really emphasized that last night when we announced the winners, that all of the designers um, did, a, you know, providing a great service to the, to the community by, by presenting the drawings. Um, we'll be using all of them throughout the Bayside Adapts process to, to again, as I said, provide context to... Uh, for the discussions, and there's elements of all of them that are that are that are great. Um, I think that people are going to really find them useful. 
That's very cool. And what was kind of like the key feature of the winning design? Um, I think um, I think the judges really um, liked the approach they took. Um, they kind of you know, they imagined at first um, kind of you know inundation becoming enough of a problem that people are starting to you know leave their you know abandon some of the property. Um, and then, you know, driving people to kind of um, think about how we can, you know, retain the vitality of the neighborhood by doing some interventions. And it is really focused on recreating natural systems, mm. which I, I think is a really cool idea. So it's a combination of recreating. Uh, they did, you know, in their historical research, they noted that there was once a mill pond that they handled a lot of the of water coming in from the back cove. So they, they imagined recreating recreating that that mill pond as a as a water feature um, and recreating more open space that could deal with water um, yeah so that that's kind of you trying to use natural interventions as much as possible from berms mm-hmm. and, and just you know living you know finding in developing infrastructure that's you know that lives with water um, more easily than you know the you know the pervious urban surface Great. That impervious, sounds... I should say. Yeah, that sounds... <laughs> impervious urban surface. <laughs> well, that sounds really exciting. I mean, you guys are doing so much stuff. You've been doing it for so long. Um, I think our listeners would really appreciate just hearing, how do you do it? You know, Portland's not a huge city. Um, you know, it, like everybody, right? Resources are always limited. You've only, over the past, what, couple years, have had a, a sustainability office. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so how... What's the special sauce, I guess? How are you guys getting this done? What do you attribute your successes to? Um, I think there's a few key things. Um, I think number one is the community. It's something that the community is very interested in. Um, they take they take you know climate change seriously. Um, they're, they're overall, I'd say they were a really green community, environmentally focused. Um, so we have public support. Um, we're not having to have arguments about um, whether sea level rise is real or not, or climate mm. change, whether it's happening or not. So that's that's a plus. And our you know, our elected officials have been supportive for many many years. Um, but so that's all a, you know. That's all great support. But our, I'd say that um, internally, um, it's collaboration between departments and a lot of people you know, in planning and public works um, and throughout the city that um, care about the issues and really, you know, like to work together. Like, for instance, the, uh, you know, the Space Adapt Project is a collaboration between the Sustainability Office, the Economic Development Office, Public Works, and Planning. There are mm. people from all of the departments that are participating, um, and all of them are playing a really important role in it. Um, so, no, you know, I don't, certainly in the Sustainability Office, I don't actually have any staff, so I, you know, I couldn't do it all myself, even even if I wanted to. Yeah, so, I remember so, those days. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, but you know, the economic development department, you know, has a waterfront coordinator who, you know, originally worked in the planning department, so he's got a lot of skills and a lot of knowledge. Um, you know, the planning director was one of the judges for the design panel. Uh, design challenge. Our public works folks are really engaged on the stormwater issues. So, in you know, everyone's participating with the stakeholder group you know, to provide information um, and you know to help the stakeholders in, in their discussion. So it's, it's teamwork. It really is. 
Okay, well, thank you so much, Troy. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Uh, we're kind of getting excited leading into the National Adaptation Forum here next week. Uh, so, um, am I gonna see you there? No, but Brian can probably make it this year, unfortunately. But he will um, make sure he updates the uh, webpage for the design challenge. Um, so I'll send you the link to that. And, uh, oh, great. Share that, with, share that with the audience so they can have a look at all of the, the all five of the really great designs we got from, from the local design community. That's amazing. Well, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate your sure. time. And uh, we'll have to do a follow-up podcast once you guys dive into phase two, right? <laughs> Yeah, that might be a yeah, while, unfortunately, but yeah, I would be happy yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome, Troy. All right, well, we will talk to you soon. Great. Take care, Kim. Take care. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?